Hello, and welcome to the podcast formerly known as Union Blues. Today, we're going to be talking about themes in Ghost, the book Ghosts in the Schoolyard by Eve Ewing. I'm Marissa, your host, and here talking with me is... Rebecca. Natalia. Isol. Amy. And Yasmin. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Looking forward to our conversation. I think what's really incredible about this book is the way that it jumps back and forth between present day um, and the history that has shaped that present day. And it really has a commitment to continually doing that over and over. So I'm thinking about um, in several parts of the book where it's talking about uh, school closures in um, the 2000s, it jumps back to things that happened in the 60s and the 50s and you know during the depression era and tying it does a really good job of tying together all those disparate um struggles to show the ways that that they're all connected and shaping the landscape of education in chicago yeah that's a great point i really love how it all sort of weaves together um and especially you know just talking about how especially the violent bombings that had happened and how you know the police basically unwilling or unable to solve them more likely they are unwilling and how that really shaped the this like redlining and segregation that happened that ended up creating these packed together school districts that cps ultimately used against them as a reason to close them yeah, it's so interesting. Well, not interesting. It's just very like eye-opening to see how ingrained racial violence is in Chicago and how far back it goes. And I feel like it hasn't really changed up until present day. It's just more masked or denied. We see the same things happening. It's a cycle that you know didn't really end. People just give it new names or they make up new excuses in order to protect the people that are inflicting the violence as opposed to the people who are being affected by it. Even as the people in power change individually, they just keep doing the same thing and perpetuating the same violence. Something I really appreciate about this class that we've taken and a lot of the other classes that we've taken here um, in regard to art ed is that like I I really um, wasn't expecting to be going so in depth about all of these things mm-hmm. um, and and really talking about some of this like nitty gritty structural issues that um, the school systems have and the uh, the city has, the state has, the world has. It's, it's so necessary for an understanding of, f- for just being able to to work here successfully. The thing that really stood out to me, for me, I think it's because, it's especially because I'm neither Black nor American. I'm calling this kind of, uh, calling this as a hate crime, I think, I've never really viewed that in that way, but I think that's like the perfect word for or to describe this system-wide segregation and everything. What's really sort of 
insidious about everything is that understanding racism in Chicago as a structural problem too, not just as an individual problem and how that's sort of perpetuated by the Board of Education in ways that they don't acknowledge this history of violence that has happened in the city. When thinking about the closing in Diet High School, the you know the CEO or the leader of the CPS changed like three different times because they either left or you know with Bird Bennett had been you know convicted of bribery. Yeah, and I think it's like Jason and you said Natalia. It's also I think Jamie mentioned. Um, how important it is to teach in Chicago to learn about this because essentially these histories are telling the people that live there like you aren't as important and what can we do as teachers to foster you know to combat that feeling yeah I think even if you're not teaching in Chicago um I think a book like this, obviously not with the same details, but books about the ways that um, school segregation and um, the use of objectivity in um, and the way that uh, as, as a tool of white supremacy, but also the way that housing and public schools are so intricately connected in the ways that um, uphold racism within, within the system of public schooling in the United States. Yeah, you really can't talk about education without talking about racism in the system. Yeah, I feel like in a way Chicago and New York are a little bit similar because of the choice-based education as opposed to like district-based, but when you take away the schools in so many districts, I mean, do you really have a choice? You know, you relocate funds, you take down public housing, like that is there's classism and there's racism in there. Yeah, I think a really important point that Ewing makes over and over again is that um, what makes these actions and these school closures and, you know, everything that she's explaining in the book, what makes them racist is their impact on on communities, regardless of whether it was a nice person carrying them out who did not have racist intentions, you know, whatever claim people want to make. I think it was really, um, you know, she talks about how layering uh, policies on policies on policies that disproportionately affect Black families, Black youth, Black students, Black teachers, like when you layer those over and over and over on top of each other through years, the impact is racist policy. I'm just thinking about the the closure of diet and how um, um, Bird Bennett, um, you know, was just so adamant about, you know, how she knew what racism was and like these closures were not racism or they were not racist and how, you know, when it affects like primarily how can something that affects primarily black communities you know and disrupts this whole connection that people form over years how can you deny that she says these actions were not racist because of the hearts and minds of the people who made the decisions i don't know these people and can't claim to know their hearts or their minds and in any case that would be beside the point They were racists because they were the culmination of several generations of racist policy stacked on racist policy, each one disregarding, controlling, and displacing Black children and families in new ways layered upon the callousness of the last.
the, this callousness of communities also extends to the names in which schools were given and how like there's this erasure of of culture when you take away the schools you're erasing the community you're erasing the names of the people of you know prominent black figures in the communities that help shape and uplift people um and it's and just to replace it with a charter school yeah, and Ewing talks about how instability and like disruption of community is used as a as a tool of white supremacy, um, disrupting the community. It like you know it's traumatic for both the students and the parents, and makes it impossible to learn and to make connections. And it's just another way of yeah, destroying culture and destroying families during uh, the the trials to save, um, I forget which elementary school. Um, and everyone's presenting, you know, talking about how the school is like their family. She's talking about um, actual family bonds versus fictive family bonds and the ways in which the closings of schools are also a tearing apart of families and community. And I just want to highlight like the disrespect that the board had for many of these closings where they would create meetings, you know, they would prevent certain people from speaking. They would um, not tell people when meetings were being held. They would be held at charter schools, you know, especially with diet when the community had come together to create a plan where this school could be like a, you know, an eco, you know, tech-based school for students to be able to get jobs when in the end they just transitioned the school to be like, you know, an arts-based program, which is completely against what the community had been asking for, had been advocating for. Um, so it's just sort of thinking about like, who is the board really serving? You know, who is, you know, in control of this? I think something that I just noticed kind of connecting to that is just a huge lack of empathy from the board and the mayor and everyone that's in power, really. Um, and they use facts and statistics that don't even begin to tell the whole story. And they use objectivity as, a another, again, like a tool of white supremacy. I thought a quote from the book was really poignant. She said, I am not an objective observer, nor do I aspire to be. As critical race theorists have argued, claims to objectivity often serve as camouflage for the self-interest, power, and privilege of dominant groups in U.S. society. Yeah, another point about this sort of like veneer of objectivity that I thought um, was really powerful is in the chapter called Dueling Realities, where she's just talking about, you know, there's, there's one reality that is that you can measure schools based on numbers and you can understand, you know, if a school is quote unquote underutilized or under-resourced or underperforming or, you know, whatever language they want to use to justify this like completely arbitrary numerical system of measuring a school's success. Like that's one reality. And then the other reality is what she talks about with like community and love and, um, and family and um, all the bonds that that a school space um, is. And um, yeah, I mean, she talks about how the value of a school is directly related to its support of lasting human relationships, um, but that stands in opposition 
to the reality of numbers. Um, there's this quote where she says, in, in the other reality, numbers don't lie. And the question of a good school versus a failing school is simple and beyond debate. The only history that matters is last year's test scores. Um, and I just think it's really like when when there's two dueling realities and one can be backed up with this like um, qualitative data and the other one is, you know, for lack of a better term, like anecdotal, you know, I think that the district can very easily get off the hook of like, well, we're being scientific about the evidence, you know, we're looking at we're looking at everything, we're being objective, we're holding all, you know, holding everything. And um, we can't listen to your stories of how much the school mattered to you or how it felt like family because that doesn't impact whether or not it's succeeding. And it just fundamentally comes down to what, what we define success of a school as and what we see the value of a school. I feel like when you take away such an integral part of a community and you leave them without that space that they have an emotional connection to or a historical connection to, um, mourning is a way to kind of regain that sense of community back because you are collectively hurt, collectively, you know, affected and upset by this. And so the community mourns together for their loss because no one else will. Um, nobody else cares. Yeah, I think that ties into how mourning is a form of resistance because then that turns into protests and movements because that's the only way to mourn something so huge that, you know, the system won't recognize. Yeah, how in mourning it's like not only a reclamation of community, and the love that was within that community, but a reclamation of yourself in connection to your community. Also, um, while talking about mourning, um, it was really horrifying. Well, it also talks about the feeling of shame that some of these um, students and teachers and parents feel when the school closes because, well, basically, basically the state state call it called the school failures and that sort of to logically to the students and the teachers they feel like they're being called failures and it it was really horrifying because it talks about how they they were not at fault like at all but they still felt shame because it's not logical but they still felt ashamed because they were labeled that yeah i just sort of want to leave you know a few questions for those listening and think about like what is a path of reconciliation that could be taken to meaningfully change some of these like horrific acts that have taken place that have disrupted communities torn apart you know families and black communities like is there a way of reconciliation that the board can take to heal this emotional grief and acknowledge the history you know is this possible to to fix this structural racism that's happened in Chicago yeah I feel like sort of as a closing thought, you know, something that we were thinking about a lot in the planning of this context was tying this morning, the overarching theme of morning in the book to the morning that is happening today, right now, the morning of individuals, but also I think on a larger scale, this like institutional morning of a, of a broken, completely broken system. What is, what does it look like 
to actually do something about that um, in the face of mourning that continues, violence that is continuing and so cyclical and unending. Thanks everyone for listening today. Um, The podcast formerly known as Union Blues asks you to stay skeptical. See you next time.